Dobre den, everyone. This is Dobre Andrew. Den. Dobre den. Uh, <laughs> welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. Of course, you have Andrew Stupart, myself as your host, and my fantastic co-host, Alex, back for more again tonight. How are you doing, Alex? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to have you. And we have a special guest, um, Veronica to catch is here um, on the show. And she's actually a fellow radio and television grad from Ryerson. So we have three RTA grads putting our skills to good use on the podcast. Um, and not only, Veronica, do you, do you have that RTA background, you're also working in the media industry. And on top of that, the most important thing I want to highlight, like myself, you have a proud heritage of being, uh, being Ukrainian. So welcome yep. to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to see you guys after all these years. <laughs> yes, for sure. So I'm yeah. so glad to have so glad to have you on. I'm very much looking forward, Veronica, to hearing about your childhood, hearing about your appreciation of the Ukrainian, excuse me, Ukrainian heritage, um, all that good stuff. Um, if the if the listeners haven't figured out by now, you know, we're we're recording this at the time of a very sad and and just tragic time in, in Eastern European history. Um, in a nutshell, it's very complicated. I'm not going to try to understand all the different revolutions that have happened since 1917, but basically um, Ukraine, which is the, the neighbor of Russia, um, has for quite a long time wanted to be more involved in the West. So that would be the European Union as well as NATO. They do um, want to be part of NATO. Um, and, and of course, Putin and, 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 and the Russian, uh, the pro-Russian folks don't want that to happen. They want um, Ukraine to stay under more Russian control. I mean, even, even eight years ago, they, they annexed um, Crimea, Crimea, I always say that wrong. They, they annexed Crimea about eight years ago, um, which is actually um, part, technically it was part of uh, Ukrainian territory and, and Russian, you know, Russians just kind of swooped in and said, no, this is ours obviously, because it's, it's a very, it has access to ports and to the sea and stuff. So it was a very prime piece of real estate for the Russians to annex. So there's always been a lot of tension in, in Eastern Europe and, and um, you know, everything came to a boiling point a couple of days ago. And as of yesterday, um, there have been uh, shots fired as well as uh, bombings and explosions and all that horrible stuff happening in Ukraine. Basically, war has started in Ukraine um, initiated by Russia, who just wants to hold on to Ukraine and doesn't want them to join um, with NATO or get more involved with the West. Um, and so, but but to, I, I don't want to start off with that. I want to start off with a celebration of, of mm -hmm. Ukrainian culture, Ukrainian heritage. Um, like, like Veronica, my background, my mom's side is Ukrainian. Um, my, my grandmother and great-grandmother fled from Stalin's um, totalitarian regime in 1930. Um, they came, I think my great grandma was around 26, my grandma was seven, and then her younger sister was just a few months old, maybe six months old. They came on a boat, 1930, escaped, escaped from Stalin, um, and they started a new life here. Um, whereas my grandfather is, he's, he's long past, but his history is, he's actually a few generations in of Canadian. Um, his grandfather, so my great, great grandfather, um, immigrated to uh, Dauphin, Manitoba in 1896, which is a long time ago. And so when I was in uh, grade eight, we had a history class. And for one of my history projects, I did a video interview on one of my first video ca uh, cameras with my grandfather about um, his, his, great, his grandfather's immigration to 
uh, from the Ukraine into Canada in 1896. So Alex, if you can ready the, cl the clip and share your screen, um, we will listen to baby Andrew interviewing his uh, grandfather back in the year 2000. Sounds good. I, I hear that this was actually the very first episode of Stupart News. Is this is it. The first episode of Stupart News. Hit it, buddy. <laughs> My grandpa Wassel Batron about, and I'm doing an interview about uh, when his family immigrated to Canada. Why did the Ukrainians need to leave their country? Because they were very, very short of land. The landlords and the churches owned all the land. And when the Canadian government advertised free land for the any immigrants that come, that's when they started coming to Canada to get free land, with, which they were very, very short of. Okay, and what was your grandfather's name? His, his name is the same as mine, Wassel. And when did your then when did your family emigrate to Canada? 1896. Okay, and where and where did he come from? He came from the Ukraine, a, a little town called Nivra. Okay, and how and what form of transportation transportation did he use to get to Canada? They they come by boat from Europe on a regular freight boat. What were the conditions like in it? The, the conditions were very very bad. There was no no arrangements for the passengers' health. There was, they had cattle on the same boat, they had machinery, big heavy equipment, and people were dying, and there was people being born on those ships. There was not, nothing arranged for the passengers, health-wise. And what city in Canada were they sent to? They, they landed in Halifax. Did they? And did they speak any English? Did your grandfather speak English? No. So how do they communicate? They, when, when they came to the area where they landed around Dauphin, in Manitoba, it was mostly Ukrainian people, and there was a lot of agents, and there was some Ukrainian agent that already spoke English, and they, inter, they interviewed uh, and. Uh, adjusted people and uh, advised people, the immigrants. What were the first years like when you guys came, your family came? They ha <clears throat> when my grandfather landed in 1896, they spent two years in a log hut. The roof was covered with sod and they had a dirt floor. And I'll tell you, when it rained, so when it finished raining, the sun was shining, and the next day it started raining in the house because it took 24 hours for the water to go through the sun. And it rained in the house for two or three days after. You were so cute 22 years ago. What the hell I happened? appreciate that, man. No, um, that, that was, those were my <laughs> epic interviewing skills at the age of 13. I was I was so enthusiastic, you can see. No, but that's, that's a fond memory of my grandfather. He passed away in 2003 when I was uh, in high school, but very, very lovely man. Um, I have nothing but fond memories of visiting my grandparents' house out in Carlisle, just north of, north of Burlington, Hamilton area. 
And uh, this was an opportunity. My mom's always been very big on like documenting history. She's done DNA tests with Ancestry.ca. She's done scrapbooks, collected photos. And one of the big projects we did was again, me and my first video camera inter interviewing my grandfather about his grandfather coming here in 1896. And they, they literally had sawed huts. So they actually built log, log huts um, out of the earth and out of different, you know, whatever materials they could find. Um, and sod and all this sort of stuff. And as you mentioned, um, when it would rain, it, you know, the sun would come out the next day, but then it would be raining inside the house because the rain would come right through the sod. So um, talk about harsh living conditions, um, you know, 100 years ago, it was pretty, pretty crazy stuff. So um, I just wanted to share that. Thank you guys so much for for indulging me with my interview for my grandfather. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, that, that's my intro. I wanted to um, bring it over to Veronica now and, and talk to me when you think about your Ukraine, your heritage, your experience as a child, like what, what comes to mind? Yeah, I have almost the exact same video of me talking to my, my Baba and saying, Baba, what was it like coming to Canada? And her experience was the same. She was on a boat. She was sick on the boat. Um, she was a teenager. She was given the option of, um, Helen, her name is Helen. You can go to Australia. You can go to New York City. You can go to Halifax. And she said, I don't know anyone. I don't know Halifax. I choose that. I don't know what it is. Right. She just, kind of, <laughs> and I can't believe the trajectory of her life and my life and everything came down to that one decision. Right. Yeah, like just yeah. imagine you're on a, you know, so she, and this, and when I talked to her about the Ukraine, she sometimes would have these beautiful stories of being on, you know, a farm and having cows and having, they were like a rich family for being farmers. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. Her, you know, her dad had like this beautiful, you know, it's just a beautiful farm in the Ukraine. And she has these yeah, yeah. vivid memories of, of that. And of course, eating pierogies and you have cabbage oh, rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the food is such a wonderful celebration. Yeah. And vodka, yeah. you drink straight vodka. Yeah. You know, you <laughs> Don't mix it with anything. And no, it's no. tough, right? And, and although I, think I must say on the vodka piece, um, my my great grandmother, so I'm told, would actually make her own raspberry vodka. So it was raspberry infused vodka. Oh. I don't know how they I forget my mother would be better at explaining it, but I think they distilled it in such a way that they would like turn it in, like I don't know like how they actually made it, but it was like vod um um raspberry infused vodka, and she used to pour it in the tea. My, even my mom, who was like, you know, a little kid at the time, she would just pour a little bit into the tea just to have, give you a little bit of a buzz. I don't know why, but that was. <laughs> yeah. Well, my Baba would always say, Veronica, what we got, we got. And what that yeah, means, yeah. what you have, you have, you know, you don't look yeah. around and this person has more than me. This person has less than me because yeah. literally just had a suitcase. So that's something that's always stuck with me is what we got, we got. And she always yeah. said, um, as long as you're happy and you're healthy, that's the most important thing. Yes. Happy and healthy. Yes. Um, and I think that really, when I think about being Ukrainian, it just comes down to resiliency. And oh, it yeah. comes, to, these people were so hardy. Our grandparents were so hardy, right? Yes. <laughs> and, they, and coming to Canada, where we also have really harsh, cold winters, it was like, yeah, yes. we got this, you know, we can do this. <laughs> um, but then there was also a time that I would talk to my, my grandfather about the Ukraine, and he would just kind of shut down emotionally. Mm. And I couldn't figure it out as a 12-year-old why, but it's mm. because he saw such atrocities, such, such horrible things, mm -hmm. like more Ukrainians died um, in the famine than yes. Jews died in the Holocaust, which 
what do yes. you think of that? in that be and i asked my dad how come no one talks about all the ukrainians that died and you know what he said there's no not a lot of ukrainian filmmakers like steven spielberg yeah so, yeah. so just to clarify um the famine that we're talking about that was when stalin was basically uh yeah. forcing all of the farming communities to send all of their their um crops, crops. to yeah. moscow yeah. And yeah. it was basically starving out the population at the time. Is that, yeah. am I right? That's it. That's what happened. And people just starved to death. Um, and it's horrific, really. Yeah. Um, and on my Baba's farm, they hired a boy to come and work for them. And he was working and he had typhoid fever and he oh. died. Um, mm -hmm. Her parents died. Her whole family died. She was a 10 year old. And the neighbors came over and said, well, how are we going to tell Helen that her mother's dead? And that's mm -hmm. how she out her mom was dead mm. so an orphan and then she just kind of figures out her own way through life you know mm. um and i feel like i hate to say it that's happening today there's mm -hmm. orphans that became orphans today right mm. um and as canadians what can we do we're sitting in our houses and we have all this wonderful luxuries what mm -hmm. can we do mm -hmm. is let's open up our borders and bring these bring them to safety if we can't yeah. get them to yeah. let's get them to poland let's get them somewhere where they they're, they're mm. safe Especially the kids. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I appreciate you um, telling your story. And, and, as, and as much as there's some horrific stuff that you did mention there, I, I, I appreciate you talking about, you know, the funny times, the vodka. And of course, you and I can both have memories of, of, uh, of pierogies with the, with the little bacon bits. And, uh, and the, I don't know, did you ever have borscht as a kid? I had borscht all the time. Yeah, and Ukrainian dancing. Ukrainian dancing. Yes, so yes. Both parents are Ukrainian dancers. And yes. my uncle had a Ukrainian band where he would like in the seventies, it was called Vatra and he would like play the drums, but they were like also like picture like seventies hippies. And anyways, yeah, we yeah. played records still, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's cool to be Ukrainian. Yeah. It is cool. <laughs> I remember, I remember um, when we had my grandparents 50th anniversary uh, of their wedding in the year 2000, around the time of that, I did that video. Actually, um, we actually hired a polka band. Um, which was really cool. We had, we had it in my parents' backyard uh, in Burlington and then we had a big tent and we had people from all over like second cousins and this and that. Like it was a huge gathering and we had a polka band and it was a whole lot of fun. I had a great time. And so I think there's a lot we can be proud of with our culture, not only the food, um, not only the, the, um, the, the culture itself, the language, the, 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 uh, even like the embroidery. Like I know when you see, when you see yeah. pictures of, of Ukrainian people, you can really tell like by the way they're, they're dressed, they're defined by the way that they're dressed and it's lovely, the embroidery. So there's so yeah. many things to be proud of, of our cult, you know, in our culture. And part of that is the resilience. I mean, if you can survive, you know, immigrating, like my grandfather said, immigrating on a boat where people were born, people are being dying. There's no health care whatsoever. This is a freight boat. You know, they, he lived in a, again, a sod hut where it's raining inside. Um, and, you know, and then, and then moving into world war, um, the thirties and world war two Stalin and famines and, and all this terrible stuff that the world has thrown at the Ukrainians. Uh, and they still stand proud. Um, yeah. Even up to the time of this podcast, I was talking with yourself and actually some other Ukrainian people on, on Facebook. And again, it's that stand with Ukraine, um, passionate uh, tagline, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Hashtag that's going around on Facebook. Yeah. So, so I'm very proud about our resilient people. Um, but I do want to talk about, you know, again, it's, it's this, it's kind of like Ukraine's like the little brother of 
Russia. And Russia is like the big bully brother who always finds one way or another to say, no, I don't want you to, I don't, basically Putin doesn't want further expansion of NATO um, Eastern, going going Eastern. And, and there's always an excuse or a reason for him to go to war or annex a certain territory or expand his territory. So I want to throw it to Alex about Obviously, it's too late now. I mean, we've seen the sanctions being put in place. Different different countries have put, um, you know, punitive sanctions in place to kind of slap Putin on the wrist. But no matter what happens, I feel like the war like we go happen in the in the coming. Um, weeks here, do you think? I'm I'm sorry, guys. Our uh, I think it's my internet connection is unstable. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Okay, hopefully you're good. We're you're good. No, I was just asking, here. like, what do you like? Do you think that this was inevitable? Like, what do you like? Where do you stand on it? It's such a complicated issue. I know that a lot of people do want to see Ukraine, you know, sort of um, stand their ground. But at the, like like you said earlier when we were talking, it was kind of like if they do that, there's going to be this war, and then here we are. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't really know very much about Ukrainian politics. I, I don't know anything about Ukrainian culture or, you know, certainly not as much as you guys do. Um, but in the past couple of days, I've definitely been reading up on it a lot, um, watching quite a few documentaries. And uh, so, you know, maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically the Ukraine officially separated from the Soviet Union in 1991. Correct. After the fall of the uh, USSR. Correct. Um, so it was previously Soviet territory, Russian territory. Correct. Um, and basically, you know, since Russia has had, I guess, sort of an economic comeback since then. I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, Russia definitely seems like it's doing better economically, um, you know, like they're very uh, oil and gas uh, resource rich and they seem to be building pipelines uh, across Europe and yeah. they have lots of customers. So they're doing very well now. Um, and it's it seems to me like maybe now that they're on a better footing, it's like, well, we kind of want all of our territory back. And they're just going to cause problems every possible way that they can, you know, whether it's election interference or, you know, uh, hacking all the different ways that Russia and their, you know, and their sort of mafia type people in that country tend to interfere with other countries. It seems like they're really um, getting the brunt of that in the Ukraine. It's kind of weird, though, because uh, um, obviously there is a bit of a separatist movement in Ukraine. So there's a there's a certain amount of Ukrainians that consider themselves to be Russian and they, they mm -hmm. want to they actually want to be um, uh, taken back by Russia, I guess. Yeah. But where it's really kind of confusing to me as some as an outsider looking in is like, OK, how many of these people are actually Ukrainians and how many of these mm -hmm. people are just sort of being planted there by Russia in order to, to stir it's up a, that sentiment? Yeah, It's as close as Canada and the States. 
when you think about how many Canadians live in the States and how many Americans live in Canada, you know what I mean? Because there's so many people that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's the, there's this overlap. And, and a lot of the times when there are these protests, um, I forget which city, but I was watching a documentary where, where like towns have actually been taken over by these separatist protesters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and they've like declared their little towns to be like, part of russia you know mm-hmm. um, and these these uh, separatists are obviously not showing their identification like people are asking them who they are where are you from and they're really staying tight-lipped about that so like there's yeah. no proof that that these people are even from the ukraine um, mm. so i don't know like that's just my outsider looking in very limited knowledge about the situation <laughs> that, but it's, it sounds right. confusing the good summary. Yeah, so we have to remember this isn't the first time, right? And he, he made some good points that I think it comes down to just the level of corruption that we have that we see in in sort of Eastern Europe compared to, I mean, even looking at home, like we have corruption here, like even in the, in the States or in Canada, we have corruption. But compared to us, theirs is like tenfold, right? And, and something that I was looking into like in in preparation for this podcast was the orange revolution are you guys familiar with the orange revolution of 2004 2005 and then okay so just really quick so basically there was a dispute of who actually won the presidential election in ukraine in 2004 there was a pro russia leader and there was a pro ukrainian leader and there was actually um rumors of one of them being poisoned during the election as like uh-huh. a tactic to like to to like suppress them and and so there was there's was a lot of protesters who were wearing i guess like orange pins or something like that in order to like stand for ukraine and say you know what we want a recount of this election um we don't we don't acknowledge this election and there actually was it actually came through when they when they did some further investigation and did like their all their due diligence, it actually came forward that there was manipulation of the votes and, and actually, and so, so it it just goes to show that um, if you can, if you can falsely, you know, put the wrong president in power in, uh, in, in Ukraine, like what else, what else is, what else are people capable, capable of, right? And that's what Putin wants. Putin wants pro- Russia leadership in Ukraine to make it easier for him to convince the people to say, yeah, you know what, we're going to put up our hands, we're going to capitulate, we don't want anything to do with NATO, let's just, let's just be part of this giant mass of of Russian territories, right? So even going back to 2004, with that orange revolution, we saw that there. And then obviously, we saw a similar situation to what we saw now, um, with the annexing of Crimea, um, back in in 2014, I believe it was, and there's actually the the the, the photo that I'm talking about with uh, I think it's Yankovic. It's, uh, um, is it you? Sorry, Yushchenko. Yushchenko. Yushchenko was poisoned, and you can see the left and the right. That's the same guy. Um, and so with, he was and actually that's like poisoned. the same year. It's just it was the same year. It's the same guy, and he was actually poisoned as part of this as part of this uh, d- during the actual election process, which just just goes to show how desperate. Um, Russia is to do whatever they have to do to kind of say uh, to take Ukraine back, right? And it's and and again, like I said earlier, no matter what level of what no matter what level of corruption we see with the with with the United States or even at home um, in Canada, it is tenfold, if not a hundredfold, in Eastern Europe. So some really really horrible um, stuff going on. So, um, Alex, I, I I guess it's almost ten. 
Um, and so I just wanted, before we kind of get into more of the about your culture, about growing up, um, Veronica, yeah. or, any, or any words that you have um, as we look forward and what's happening right now? Yeah, I mean, well, growing up, it's funny because we're Canadian, right? Yeah. And there were so many times that people would say, you know, what's your background? And I would say Canadian, Canadian. And I almost didn't want to admit that I was Ukrainian because I didn't yeah. want to be. I remember that was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm like very Canadian. But then as I grew up, I realized how important that part of my background is to me um, and how oh, yeah. special it is. Ukrainian um, and what that really means and now well like, I remember talking to my baba like long long time ago and I would say where were you born and she would it was even hard she would say Ukraine well it was Austria like it wasn't even yes. when she was born Austria, right so yes, like yes. this country so much within her life to be yes. many um, and we used to say the Ukraine but then yes. that didn't say the Ukraine anymore because that's how Russians referred to yeah. the territory and then once they became their own sovereign nation they became ukraine so it's been this changing place yeah. that and when people say you know veronica do you want to go there would you ever want to travel home to see your roots and i think well no i don't yeah. isn't that awesome? i mean <laughs> we should want to go back there but yeah. i don't want to go to a place where there's so much um unrest when there's yeah. so much I'm like, no, I would rather go somewhere else. Um, and we, and because I work at CTV News, I, I feel it's awful, but I, we can see this pattern. Like we saw this happen in Afghanistan so yeah. recently where there was this mass exodus of people to the airport where it was just get out. And tonight there's only one airport in the Ukraine that hasn't been bombed. So imagine if you're a person there just trying to get out and yeah, you're yeah. literally trying to you get you have your passport and you're in you know your car and where are you driving to that you can get to safety and that's the part yeah. that really hits me because right now there's subways where they've made as bomb shelters and there's people just huddling in those um subways and they're just trying to keep their families safe you know yeah. Yeah. um and it's kind of feel what year is this this is we're not in the 1940s anymore this is yeah. we have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have ways of communicating right now with people in those places. Um, so I just feel like, I don't know, this somehow feels like um, we're looking back in time, right? No, 100%. And, and I'm glad you brought up the, uh, not not glad, but I, it's, it's poignant that you brought up the Afghanistan thing. We actually did a podcast on Afghanistan um, about, what, six months ago or so, whenever, whenever that was happening. And it's just, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, you're going to see this giant uh, mass exodus and it's like you just have your fingers crossed and hope and pray that people can actually get to an airport before it is bombed. And I remember those, you know, very vividly when we were covering the Afghanistan situation. That was a 20-year war that ended last year. And I remember um, people clinging to the to the side uh, to to the to the bottom of the yeah. of the uh, the jets as they're they're so desperate to get on that jet that they would hang and and you know with with possibility of falling to their death. So I think we'll yeah. see a, a similar situation in Ukraine, um, which is unfortunate. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that I one as much as I hate to see the world at war, it devastates me to see the world at war. It absolutely. I have, I almost cried a little bit yesterday when I heard about it. Um, just because it's 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 again a, that David and Goliath thing. They're so even though they do have an army, they do have reserves and they do have some weapons. It is such a unfair 
um, yeah. it is such an unfair like um, battle going on. And, and it's, and I have to, I have to just stand proud and say, you know what, I know that there's, a, a, you know, conflict that's going to happen. People are, there's going to be bombings, there's going to continuous, continuously, but I'm still glad that they stood up for themselves, um, regardless, um, because there's two schools of thought. Do we just lie back and let Putin do what he does and then not have uh, warfare, or do we stand up for ourselves? Uh, and then the consequences of, of that is warfare. So it's a really tough um, mm. situation, yeah. right? Well, two things that I've seen, first of all, is there there's civilians, including senior citizens, that they're telling to arm up to get a gun, right? Like dentists, they're going to the dentist's office and saying, you should probably have a gun. So imagine just regular civilians are yeah. becoming soldiers, yeah. right? Yeah. That That's the part of what the F, number one. And secondly, um, as Canadians here, I, I reached out to the Ukrainian church where my family's really involved mm -hmm. and we have a connections and they send clothes to the orphanage and they do all sorts of outreach mm -hmm. and I said Father Terry today Father Terry what can we do how can we help these people in Ukraine yeah. and you know yeah. and he said prayers we're gonna pray and okay that's great you can pray but let's do something tangible let's do something yeah. more than just pray <laughs> right like I want to know what who where can I send money yes. where can I send clothes is it Light. So, it, what are the tangible things that we as Canadians I, you can know do? What? I'm, I don't that's know. such a perfect segue, and I'm so glad that you talked about your your involvement in the church, and, I, and I'm really appreciative of, of what you're doing there, just to be involved there. So that's a perfect segue into the fact that I was doing some research on the weekend because this was really bothering me, and we were to, Alex and I were talking about the podcast. I was thinking about what can I do, um, and I'm not a church goer, um, so I, that's not the route for me. But what I discovered, there's an organization called uh, Canada Helps, and they have thousands of different small charities under their umbrella. They're basically like a, a branding company for all these other small organizations that don't have like the, the power to do their own marketing. And so under the Canada Helps umbrella, there is an organization called SOS Ukraine. And I did make a donation there. And I encourage if any listeners are on and they feel passionate about helping, there's different um, organizations out there. The one that I chose, SOS Ukraine, again, it's part of Canada Helps dot org i believe is the web address you can look up sos they, ukraine yeah Great. they vetted they this is actually getting to the people i think what's important is when you're sending money how yeah. do you confirm it's getting to the right people exactly so i actually did some research i like looked them up on linkedin they have like a legitimate like website and everything so i looked all that up and they and they actually send uh the money actually goes to like food clothing water for anyone who's in ukraine there's a lot of people who, who again are, are orphaned or maybe some of their family members have been able to escape and they haven't. So there's a lot of situations where people do need help. So if, if the listeners are feeling passionate about this, definitely check out Canada helps those. No, yeah. Canada helps. Um, and there's an organization called SOS Ukraine. Um, now I know it's 10, any other final closing thoughts, you know, before, before we depart here, uh, uh, Veronica. Oh, it's so hard. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, yeah, I wish it was yeah. under, but yeah, I'm going to continue to follow the story as it goes because yeah, yeah, um, yeah. we're evolving, right? Every minute yeah, there's something yeah. changing with the time difference too. That makes um, yes. a difference because they're, you know, whatever the time difference is. Anyways, thank you for having me. Yes. Alex, yeah, I'll keep thanks you, for I'll, joining I'll, us. I'll, I'll keep you on, but uh, Veronica, it was great to talk to you and all the best <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll catch up shortly, okay? Take care, guys. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. Oh, Nazdrovia. Nazdrovia. Oh, Nazdrovia. <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much. So 
All right. I mean, so yeah, we'll, but we'll go ahead and continue the discussion. We've only we've only scratched the surface here. So. Yeah, and I don't want to I don't want to go on too long, but I guess I guess for you, for my question for you, when you and I were talking earlier, or with Misha as well, Misha had mentioned that yes, Putin is a prick. He's a he's a tyrant. He's a piece of shit, right? And he and he'll do whatever he can to take more territory away from Ukraine. But you had mentioned um, the fact that that by standing up for themselves and trying to get into NATO and doing what they want as 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 Ukrainians, it's it actually what you predicted happened was 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 the war. And now, and so I want to hear your thoughts about about the world impact of this crisis. Well, I, I mean, again, I don't really follow Ukrainian affairs too closely, um, but I do follow American uh, politics very closely. Um, so so, you know, you and I, we both followed the the election um, in 2020 very, you know, and we saw all of the things that unfolded in that. No question. Um, and one of those things that really stood out in my mind as, certain, as soon as I started to hear the news of all this stuff happening in Ukraine was Joe Biden's family's involvement in Ukraine was a really big, um, I would say, a scandal in the 2020 election. Um, it came to light that Hunter Biden had been working for a Ukrainian energy firm, uh, Burisma. Uh, he had very little experience in the way of, you know, running an en energy corporation, but nonetheless, he was offered a, a position on the board um, and he was being paid $50,000 a month. Um, I don't know how long he was working there for, but that's a lot of money yeah. <laughs> for, for any length of a, a contract. $50,000 a month. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of speculation that that Joe, the Biden family um, has some sort of underhanded dealings with uh, the, po the po political parties and the corporations in the Ukraine. So, you know, when I hear Joe Biden going up and and you know saying that we're we're going to have to sacrifice and we believe that Russia has ambitions beyond the Ukraine, um, yeah. it sounds a lot to me like he's sort of getting on a war footing. Um, you know, it, it's like again, it's very early on. I don't know exactly what you know what's being planned, but it sounds to me like. Um, there is a lot of political willpower in the United States to actually put boots on the ground at some point. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't know that they're actually coming out and saying that at this point, but I'm very skeptical, um, because, you know, if the Biden family has been accepting money from the Ukraine in order to get them into NATO, um, and a war breaks out because of all this. Um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that's Biden's war, and he started that. Um, if if that's the reason why uh, uh, Putin is invading the Ukraine, because uh, Biden was paid to get the Ukraine into NATO, then that's really sketchy. Um, and certainly... You know, when the time does come that they actually want to send soldiers over there, if I was the if I was the parent of 
a military service member, um, yeah. I would be very concerned about sending my son or daughter into a, a far off nation that I know nothing about um, in order to basically pay back the debt for um, for uh, the president of the United States. I think it's something very sketchy is going on here. Yeah, and I, I so I appreciate your additional context and thoughts there. Um, definitely, this wouldn't be the first time that we've seen underhanded dealings um, happening. I mean, there's it's 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 one of those unfortunate things with politics, especially international politics on the world stage. You you will see things like that happen. I'm not saying it's right, and I do acknowledge what you're saying. Um, and and what a lot of what you're saying is speculation, but I think that there could be some truth in there. I don't know how much truth. I don't know you know precisely what the details are, or, or if they'll ever, ever come out. Uh, and I'm not disputing what you're saying because I think that again that there's some validity to what you're saying. Um, and, and 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 you know what? I don't know if I have a 100% solid rebuttal or answer because it is such a complex issue. Not only the relations on the international stage. You have the United States, you have Canada, you have Britain, you have, you have France, the other allies, you have NATO. And there's so many, so there's so many different puzzle pieces between the allies, between the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Um, you have U Ukrainian-Russian relationships on one side. You have, so there's just so many countries and, 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 and different layers of complexity involved here that it's hard for me to like say one way or another if I 100% agree with you or not. Um, I guess, I guess my, my, the way that I think about it, like, um, would be despite whether, you know, even though there may have been some corruption on Hunter Biden or the Biden family's side, um, I think at the end of the day, I will always stand proud with my heritage. And, and I, and, 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 and like I said, I, no one wants to see a war happen. No one wants to see bombings and shellings and missile launches and all that horrible stuff. Um, no one wants to see that. But at the end of the day, I think the Ukrainian people need to stand tall. They need to stand proud. And if they want one way or another to become more oriented with the European Union or NATO or just the Western allies, I think that's their right. They are their own sovereign independent nation and they shouldn't capitulate and lie down for this bully because that's what he is. He's a giant bully. Um, at the end of the day, it's un unfortunate that um, this is what's happening, but I think it, I, I think in my opinion, the sanctions that Canadians, Justin Trudeau, uh, the U.S., Biden, and others are, I think um, U.K. as well has put some sanctions on. I think it was the right thing to do. It's not going to solve the situation by any means, but it's a, it's there are they are punitive sanctions that are saying, you know what, Putin, we don't approve of what you're doing. How about military intervention? See, and that's that's a tricky one because. So I think the one thing that I can say on the positive side is that, you know, knowing that the United States and Canada do not currently have conscription, much like they did in World War I or World War II, if you choose to go overseas, if you choose to enroll in the military and, have mili and be in the military service, that is your choice. No one is going to go up to you or me or your friends um, tomorrow and say, you have to deploy out to to fight in the Ukraine. If you decide to join up and, and go over to Ukraine, that is your choice. Hmm. So, so if the United States decides to send troops over there, you would support that? 
again, Alex, I absolutely don't like seeing war happen. It's like the worst case scenario. What we're seeing right now in the Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia and the, and the bombings that have happened in the last couple of days, absolutely deplorable. Um, but I think, I think it's so tough because. Because you know that really the Ukraine is, is not a, a very prosperous country. They're, they certainly do not have nuclear capabilities. Um, they have nowhere near the the military power that Russia does. So basically, yeah, yeah. It, like if you're if you're not advocating for military interve- intervention, I'm not saying it's completely a lost cause, but it's a matter of time. Uh, it, it may be a slow, you know, process where Putin just takes a little bite out of out of the Ukraine every few years or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But it's a matter of time. Um, so, uh, so at what point do you think uh, that there needs to be some sort of intervention? See, and that and that's a tough question. I'm not a military strategist, and I and I understand the angle that you're coming from. You know, historically, the United States has been known to get themselves get themselves involved in international affairs. Obviously, um, during the Cold War. Um, you know, they were heavily, in, I mean, the, the war in Vietnam, right? That was a 20, that was a 19 year war where the United States was um, involved in, in not only in Korea, but also, like, as I said, like the, the Vietnam War, you've seen um, the, you know, the U.S. involved in, in Afghanistan for 20 years. So the, the U.S. has been known to, to um, deploy military efforts on the international stage. Um, even if even if there isn't even if even if there weren't oppressors fighting them, it's not as if Russia came and bombed the U.S. Right. Like, but the U.S. is still going to go out and send their support. That's what they do. Do I want to go and see do I want to see a bunch of Canadian and 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 British and, and American um, soldiers um, basically walk into a death trap? No, I don't. Um, that is horrific. And it's the worst case scenario. At the same time, I don't want to see you know, Ukraine capitulate and, and basically bend over. So it's a really tough situation. At the end of the day, I think as as good as good um, willing, you know, nations, um, you know, we we, sh- we should be doing something to support um, Ukraine. You know, that could be troops, right? But on the other hand, it could just be sending weapons, um, sending aid or whatever it happens to be. I don't know what that looks like. It's still very early on in the war, but I, I think it would be, um, irresponsible if we did nothing and just sat back and watched the war. We should do something. Mm-hmm. I, I think like we're sort of in another Vietnam type situation where you know you have you know these people that that you know very likely don't stand a chance without some sort of foreign military support. Um, you know, it's just not it's not likely. Um, but on the other hand, it's like I, I just don't think that, um, you know, uh, the United States or Canada, for that matter, need to be the world police. Right. Do we do yeah. we need yeah. to police the world and make sure that everybody's territorial integrity is is exactly, you know, how it should be, um, you know, it and sometimes it's it's easy to say that yes we we should stand up for uh you know democracy and our values and everything yeah. like that but oftentimes the people saying that aren't the ones that are going and fighting um 
they're not the ones that are sending their children uh, to go and, you know, potentially be killed in battle. Yep. So, you know, when I when I see these um, pol- American politicians like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, um, you know, it's like they they seem like they're pretty willing to get into some kind of a skirmish and and they are so far from from, uh, you know, having their lives impacted. Yeah. Yeah. By by an actual war breaking out between the two countries totally no i understand where you're coming from and it's like oh yeah the people who make the decision to go to war are never actually the one the ones in the trenches so you make a very good point that as a politician you are so far removed from the actual uh you know deployment and everything i mean aside from bush or 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 obama or whoever you know walking walking and shaking hands with the troops like you know as a symbolic gesture they're not in there day to day you know, with the fear of, of, of being bombed. Right. So I definitely understand that there's a, that there's a sort of a gap between what the, you know, politicians making an order and then it actually, you know, actually sending your kid to war. Um, So I hear what you're saying there. And as I said, like, I don't have a definitive answer that's going to solve everything. Like I am not a politician. I'm not a military strategist. um, So I don't have a definitive answer for you. I guess like the, at the end of the day, because of my rich heritage that I celebrate, um, I will always be pro-Ukraine. And I know that's a very weighted thing to say. And I know that what I'm saying has consequences. I mean, look what happened in the last couple of days, right? I mean, um, so it, it, it is very complicated. Um, at the end of the day, we have to remember that it, they have their own separate language they have their own separate culture, their own separate food, their own separate flag, their own separate, you know, government. So they are their own country and they should be able to stand um, independently. I guess the question on everyone's minds is what is going to be the ultimate cost for that? Yeah. Now, now I'm going to take this a step further. There's, there are certain people um, in the media um, that feel that even imposing sanctions is something that that shouldn't be done and i'm not saying i feel this way i I, i'm generally in agreement with the sanctions Um, but there are people that feel that uh, the gas prices will be affected uh, by by implementing sanctions there'll be that much less less oil on the market yeah we're already paying at, at the point that we're recording this podcast we're already paying around a dollar 60 a liter where yep. I live, I'm sure it's probably yep. even more in It's a do- it's about a dollar 60, yep. Yeah. So um and in the United States the gas prices are very high as well, higher than they've ever been. Like these are record numbers and yep. at this very moment in time if we were to um, do something like sanctions on a major oil producing country like Russia, I don't think yep. there's any question that the gas prices would go even higher. And there's a lot of people that, you know, that live in, you know, rural counties and and everything like that. They don't have any Ukrainian heritage. They, you know, they kind of feel like they are paying for for this skirmish that's happening on the eastern part of Europe, somewhere that they have never been, somewhere somewhere that they will never go. and they feel like it really doesn't have any impact on their life. However, 
sanctions will have a fairly significant yeah. uh, impact on their life when the, the cost of groceries is the highest it's ever been. Yeah. Um, so there, so there are some people with, you know, I, I don't want to say like legitimate, like, I, I think it, it might be a little bit ignorant, but, um, yeah. but you know, at the same time, like they're, you know, there's this, there's this idea that that you know we're responsible to to fix all of the world's problems and yeah. oftentimes the the burden of that falls on the working class and and falls on you know military service members no 100% and i understand your concerns and 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 back in the back you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago you had individual communities, individual uh, nation states or individual tribes even that were kind of housed within themselves, right? So you go to different parts of Africa, you have a, a tribe over here, a tribe over here, you have, or, you know, different parts of Europe, you have a colony here, a colony here, whatever. But, 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 you know, fast forward and there was, there was, and, and, and in prior to like, you know, you know, big international, international, um, you know, exploration with ships, right? There wasn't a whole lot of like communication of you know between Europe or 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 uh, um, North America or Africa whatever. So we lived in our own little bubbles, right? You had your bubble in Africa, your bubble in 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 Europe, your bubble in in wherever, right? But now we're on this international stage, and everything's become a lot more not only connected but complicated. I'm going to go use two words there. Uh, connected in the sense that we have email, we have broadcast television, we have radio, we have social media, we have chat, um, Zoom, everything and, and everything that you could possibly imagine to interconnect ourselves. I can talk to someone on the other side of the, of the planet by simply logging onto Zoom and, 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 and sending a link to someone on video, right? Um, and, and the other side of that is you know, with media, we, we know what's going on all over the world 24-7 because of this global village we have. So as a result of this global village and connectivity, it, you know, it begs the bigger question of if we know that something wrong is happening, you know, 10,000 miles away, to what extent do we have to be involved, right? And I understand that because in my mind, when I think back, like on Vietnam, was it a 20-year war that the that the U.S. should not have fought. You know, the, Afghanistan was at another 20-year 20 20 war that that um, that the U.S. should not have fought. And I think and I think it's just a consequence of us again having all this modern technology in an interconnected world that we know what's going on. And if we have a you know if we see conflict in another part of the world, like yes or no, is it our responsibility to do something again? To what and and to get and again to what extent is that right? So is it sanctions? Is it sending money? Is it sending troops? Is it sending weapons? Like, and I think I think that's for each country to figure out, right? Like each country is going to have its own way of like Britain's going to respond a little bit differently than Canada's going to respond, which is going to be a little bit different than how the U.S. is going to respond. But I guess to answer your question, like it's complicated. We're living in an international global village and. Uh, Shit's not the same that it was, you know, you know, 5,000 years ago. And, and I think with this global village idea, a lot of people feel that their politicians have a stronger allegiance to foreign countries overseas yeah. um, than they have to the communities that, that elected them in the first place. 
Um, you know, you like in Canada, you know, with everything that we've seen with the convoy movement, there's this yeah. feeling that that the working class has been, you know, abandoned uh, and businesses have been forced to shut down and everything like that. Yeah. You know, yet our government is is, you know, wholeheartedly willing to support people. Um, you know, in eastern Ukraine, a place where, you know, quite frankly, most Canadians probably couldn't point out on a map if it wasn't labeled. So, you know, it's very, like, it's, it's complicated. Like, right now is a very difficult time for um, politicians to be asking people to, um, to sacrifice, because we're yeah. just coming out of, you know, two years of a pandemic. Yeah. A lot of people have lost their jobs, lost their businesses, yeah. um, and lost their lives because of, of the pandemic as well. And now, you know, I, I don't blame people for being very uh, closed off to the idea of uh, digging deeper and sacrificing more, um, you know, in order to, to help um, a nation that, you know, like we're not we're not really even obligated to um, to protect. So, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that's another aspect of it. Totally. And I understand your your some of the frustrations that you may be citing here from other people who have maybe, you know, come forward and said these things. And, and I and I get it because, you know, you're right. Um, a lot of businesses, including my own wife, like she has a business and her, she's had to open and close and open and close. And then, you know, when you have mandates on top of that, people can, you know, uh, upset because they're losing their freedoms because they can't work because of these mandates. And, and so, so there's a lot going on at home. And I don't dispute that there is a ton of shit that we're dealing with in Canada, not only with the pandemic, but then with, with the freedom convoy on top of that, um, there's just so much going on right now. And, and you're right, to a certain extent, we do need to pay attention to what's going on in our own backyard. Um, 100%. There's, I don't dispute that. This, at the same time, our country is built on multiculturalism. In Toronto, there are 92 different languages spoken, okay? Um, the amount, I mean, Toronto is arguably one of the most multicultural cities in North America, um, and so our country, I don't want to sound like cliche here, but our country is built on immigrants, right? Like you and I are both white people sitting here. Like we came, our ancestors came to this land, like what, 200, whatever, 150 years ago when it was pre-pop, you know, previously populated only with what, you know, obviously, you know, um, Native American, Native Canadians, right? Like uh, Aboriginal people. And so anyone who's come you know, to this, most people who have come to this country in the last 150 years have come from somewhere else. This country's backbone is immigrants. Um, our workers, our families, our communities are multicultural and we're, yeah, and we're, we're a multicultural nation and I'm proud of that. Um, and so I think, I think because of the wide array of, of different countries who have immigrated at one time or another to, to Canada, I think, don't we have a certain amount of responsibility to, to help those different communities when they're in need? Um, whether that's bringing in refugees in Syria or sending aid over to Ukraine or helping out in Afghanistan, don't we have some sort of level of responsibility given that we're a highly multicultural nation? 
I think, yeah, like, I mean, there's, there's an argument for that. I mean, that's why we, certainly why we got involved in World War II and, you yeah. know, any other number of, of conflicts that we've gotten involved with is like, there is, you know, there are at times uh, a moral obligation to, you know, to help other countries that are in yeah. need. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a different situation here because, I think in the Ukraine there is a certain amount of a of an actual separatist movement. Um, yep. You know, at what point do you intervene with something like that? Certainly in Canada, we're no strangers to uh, having a separatist movement. Um, if anybody's listening from other countries, you might you may or may not be aware that uh, Quebec, yep. for a very long time, has had a separatist movement. Yeah, and. Um, yeah. So, so like, how did we feel when the French president came to Canada and basically egged on the, the separatists and, and, you know, sort of bolstered them in a speech, you know, saying like long live Quebec, uh, long live uh, free Quebec. I remember that. Yeah. That yeah. was the referendum of 1995 when I was so, nine years old. In a, in a way, when it comes to like internal, politics it's like you don't want other countries to interfere with that type of thing obviously russia is interfering interfering heavily right now um yeah. and by us going in and interfering as well i don't know does that does that really make it any better um since like we we sort of pick a side that that we believe is right even though we know nothing about the the politics we we know nothing yeah. about the you know these people that are that are uh, um, trying to separate, um, you know, who, who's to say that we even know, you know, who's in the right and who's in the wrong here. It's yeah, not really any it is, of our there, business in a way. Yeah. And there, there is a bit, there is a bit of moral, there's a sort of moral gray area that I see you're talking about here. And I understand where you're coming from. Uh, to, to be fair, I don't disagree with all of your points. Like there was some common ground that we are seeing here. And I, I understand your concerns. Again, it is a very complex situation um, based you know, coming into this podcast, one of the things that I did look into, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think the majority of Ukrainians still want to stand with, with, with Ukraine. Um, yes, there is a separatist pres um, presence. There is a pro-Russia presence in Ukraine. That's undoubtedly true. But I think the majority of Ukrainians still want to preserve their culture. They don't necessarily just want to become another state of, the, of, of Russia. They want to preserve their own, you know, roots and heritage, and they and they want to to um, become a little bit more affiliated with with the West and with NATO. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But again, it's a super complicated issue. Um, so I know we're running at the hour mark here. I want to wrap up soon. Um, did you have any when it comes to the world stage? Um, did you have any sort of closing remarks around around the world's involvement in this crisis? Yeah, I mean. Basically, like, I, I don't think you could find somebody that's more against totalitarianism, uh, you know, this sort of like, you know, fake Russian democracy thing yeah, where yeah. Putin is like being like, quote unquote, elected. But really, he's just like a totalitarian dictator. There's no yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I, I hate dictators. I think it's the worst possible way to run a country. Um, yeah. But at the same time. I really hate the idea of sinking money and uh, Canadian and 
American lives into a, a war that that really we don't stand to gain very much from. Uh, we have a whole lot to lose, though, that's for sure. For sure, man. Now, I appreciate your comments tonight. Um, it is a very complex issue, and I'm not saying that either way I have, like, you know, an exact answer on like how, what the best approach for this is. Cause it's super complicated. There's different alliances in place. There's um, a lot of different puzzle pieces here. Again, you have the um, Russia Ukrainian relationship. You have the relationship with Ukrainian, uh, the Ukraine and the rest of Europe, as well as some of the allies here, you have, you know, people with different opinions in, in uh, back home here in, 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 in this, in Canada, as well as the state. So there's a lot of different pieces to this right that we have to consider there's the economic aspect there's the the war aspect people losing their lives um so there, there's a lot to digest um i'm very interested even though i'm horrified i'm in, i'm also interested to see how this develops um i don't think it'll be good i mean we've already had bombings for a couple of days so i think the the near future is looking bleak for a while um in in ukraine and and i and i wish nothing but the best to the Ukrainians. I stand strong. I, you know, um, again, listeners, if you do feel compelled to do something, no pressure, but if you feel compelled to do something, um, definitely research um, some Ukrainian um, charities. Again, SOS Ukraine, you can um, send some money through Canada Helps, um, which is the, the marketing company. SOS Ukraine is the, the charity. They um, make sure to get food and clothing into the hands of the needy in Ukraine. Um, yeah, and I hope if they're, you know, for anyone who's trying to leave, I hope that I, I wish them safe passage and I hope that they have a, a safe journey to Canada or wherever they're going. So um, that's it for tonight. A bit of a dark, darker topic tonight, but something that I felt was very important for us to discuss. Um, I was more than, I was super happy to have Veronica on. Not only again, was she a graduate of the radio and TV program, a media professional, but most importantly, her and I share a very proud um you know, Ukrainian heritage. So again, Veronica, I know she's left, but thank you for coming on today. Um, thank you, Alex, for your comments. You made some very, um, you know, thought provoking, thought, thought provoking <laughs> comments about the world stage. And so I'll just end with, you know, as complicated as this thing is, I will stand proud with Ukraine. Ladies and gentlemen, that's another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. This is Andrew and Alex signing off. Bye for now.